I'm Piercy Janwell, and you're listening to Unsubscribed. Every episode, I sit down with business leaders to help you question everything you thought you knew about marketing. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Now, on to this week's episode. My guest today is Christina Deeks. Christina is the Senior Director of Demand Generation at Checker, a software company that uses AI to do employee background checks. Christina, who I've always known as Deeks, is a mom with six kids and also runs marketing and sales ops like a boss. Uh, She's worked at lots of exciting SaaS companies in Silicon Valley. Uh, Also, one of the funniest and most no BS people I've ever met. So really looking forward to this one. How how are you doing today, Christina? I'm good. I love that intro. It's a great intro. I wish that intro would happen every time I walk into a room. (laughs) (laughs) I can be there, you know, just let me know where you're going. Do it. I have two suburbans, so I can transport you anywhere. I heard. heard. There's probably a seat in there for me. So, Deeks, you're the only one with that last name. Where is that from? I mean, it's certainly Americanized. My dad was adopted when he was eight years old in Germany. Um, Okay. So, but my grandparents, um, obviously not biological grandparents, my grandma was French. My grandfather is Swedish and German, so I'm, I think it's just an America's, Americanized version of a mix of whatever that is. Um, nice. I mean, how they settled on an X, who knows, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely unique. I, As far as I know, I'm the only person, like my family are the only Eugene Wallace, but it doesn't really roll off the tongue quite like yours does. That's true. I mean, I will be honest with you that I have no idea how to pronounce your last name ever. So you're not alone. You're that's how I, I, just, I just address you as Piercy normally. <laughs> so, so I always like to ask people like how they got into marketing and also how they got into marketing automation because it's, you know, it's still pretty new and it's usually an interesting story. So I'd love to hear yours. Yeah, I mean, mine is rather interesting. I uh, My bachelor's degree is in psychology. Uh, decided to go for my master's all the while, you know, working as I think it was like a temp contractor for my mom's company. Um, which isn't even around anymore. But, you know, I I was going for my master's a little bit later in life. Obviously, the objective there was to become some sort of mental health practitioner in some way, shape or form, graduated and then realized that that was not something that I was set up to do um, as far as patient patient practice. Um, You know, I'm I'm a little bit of an empath, experience a lot of sort of transference and feel everything. So it just wasn't the right suit for me. Um, and then little by little, like I, I was at Cisco, um, in a little small business unit called Ironport that Cisco had just acquired and Marketo came in and pitched. And it was like, I think we were the fifth beta customer of Marketo wow. and, you know, marketing is a natural progression sort of with psychology because you use a lot of psychology to market, you know, how do people feel? How do they think? How do they respond? So, it jived really well with both my personality and my experience. And so little by little, they said, Hey, Deeks, take this Marketo thing, figure it out. 
And then there really was never turning any back from that. Right. Yeah. So it just grew and grew and grew into the Marketo monster that we all know and love today. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you being uh, customer number five, like what yeah. was that like back then? Oh, I mean, it was pretty insane because you, and actually I still have very similar conversations because back then you had to justify and you had to sort of defend the need for marketing automation. You had to defend the need for marketing ops. Um, I think it's one of the most undervalued areas of the business. And it's really hard, I think, for a lot of different orgs to understand what it is. In fact, if you ask anyone what marketing ops, what marketing automation is, you'll get 17,000 different answers. So, um, I mean, it was pretty crazy because at the beginning, it was just a lot of justification, um, a, a lot of trying to spend time of, is this going to bring value to the business? If so, how? Um, and then exploring that whole new world of email marketing and you know what can automation do for you? And it was a really fun and exciting time, actually. For sure. And and so do you think uh, we're beyond that phase now where you need to prove it? Or do you think <sighs> we're still struggling with that to some extent? I think we've transitioned from having to prove it or justify it to then how to prioritize it. Um, I, I still think that there's an area where folks cross org don't quite understand what marketing ops is still and how important it is. And instead, I think their approach is it's one level of their tech stack and let's just pile crap on top of it. Because if, if we don't pile stuff on top of it, then we're not going to be the front runner. We're not going to be innovation led. We're not going to be tech led. Um, and so I think a lot of things just get lost in translation of how important it is to have a clean system, how important it is to have a great strategy, how important it is to have a solid foundation. Um, so I don't know if there's there's much to prove. Instead, almost it's like the opposite where marketing ops, marketing automation folks have to have to defend their stack so that it doesn't get disgusting and messy and over complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, simplicity is the hardest thing to do a lot of times, right? It's easy to make things complex. It's easy to make things complex until you actually have to deal with it. And then it's <laughs> like, your job yeah. is so freaking hard after that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, you're obviously someone who knows a lot about marketing automation. Um, and and what I feel like you've done a good job of is like, you know, you know a lot about it, but I I, I feel like you've always kind of kept yourself at a higher level than like mm -hmm. being the person in the system all the time. Whereas a lot, I we see a lot of people who get into marketing automation and like maybe they're the only people in the company who know how it actually works. So they have to do everything in the systems. How have you managed to kind of stay at that manager level or evolve yeah. your career to that point? And, and what advice would you give to other people who are, are, are maybe trying to advance their careers and get out of sort of being the person who does things in the system. 
Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I definitely personally hit a wall, right? I mean, after being working in Marketo and being the person that tactically executes everything, I hit a wall where I felt like both my career really wasn't progressing, but I also was just bored, you know, because after a while you're just doing these monotonous tasks. You feel like someone's bitch, you know, uh, you just don't really have a lot of motivation. So, you know, I'm really thankful that I had great leaders in my career. Uh, one of whom gave me the opportunity. She had come from Oracle. She had given me the opportunity to really put forth a, you know, a, a recommendation for a best in class demand center, which is, you know, one of those fancy terms that comes from Oracle, but now sort of is translating across the market to other tech orgs. Um, and I was sort of forced into exploring a lot of the other elements and under the demand hood that wasn't just marketing ops. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity because what I realized was the 10 years, 12 years that I had of actually executing in the marketing ops space, the transition allowed me to have this robust understanding of systems and process and procedure and then when I took over campaigns and digital and all of those areas of the business, I had sort of a holistic view of how the marketing engine works, both from um, you know a practitioner standpoint, but also execution, but also strategist. And so I would say to anybody who is kind of stuck in that rut is start to explore who you are in some of these other areas and what how your knowledge can really start to apply to other facets of the marketing engine, because surely there's a few that can be translated over. Um, and yeah. I think it's, it's so great that I, I mean, still to this day, you know, when I'm approaching creating strategy and I'm approaching, you know, my forecasting, I think about, it's always in the back of my head is like, okay, well, what's the process of like mm -hmm. lead cycle, lead life cycle to contact to opportunity? How's that going to work? What's the sales cycle? How does that translate, you know, down to systems? And it makes me, I think, more successful, but also more aware, right? Like I'm just sure. more aware of, of what's going on in my org. Yeah. And it's interesting to me, like, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, when this is a new thing, you, you couldn't really have leadership who knew how the systems worked because right. they were so new. But now we're kind of evolving to the point where leadership marketing leadership has actually you know walked in those shoes knows how the systems work do you think that that makes you a more effective leader i mean it's definitely great to have people in your corner right so i mean if you if you know i'll give you i'll give you the example that i'm going through right now i i came into checker pretty recently within the last three and a half months you know we're on a hubspot platform. Um, you know me, I'm a Marketo gal. Um, I found that having leaders that have walked that walk and truly value the, the best performing system, which in their opinion also is Marketo, um, I had a lot of leaders on my side. So that process of selling, you know, quote unquote, didn't really have to happen because I already had folks that, you know, were already sold to long, long ago. So, and you're right. I mean, I do see cross org. I mean, not only does my VP of marketing 
you know, recognize the value of marketing ops, but, you know, I have the SVP in revenue operations who loves Marketo and understands the value of marketing ops. I see my finance folks that understand, you know, how this can bring more efficiency to the business and how important it is to have something that's scalable for our growth. So uh, it does make my life a lot easier. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, I, I am curious to get your take kind of on HubSpot versus Marketo, because I have heard a lot lately that HubSpot is trying to go up market into the more kind of larger enterprise space. What, what are some of the reasons that you feel uh, it's important to switch on to Marketo? Yeah, I mean, I just I think HubSpot is a great system for an early stage startup who's just trying to figure out how to communicate with their database, to grow their database, to, you know, create landing pages, et cetera. You know, I think it's a good starter pack. Um, But as you get to this point where Checker is and where some of my previous organizations have been, where you have to realize, how do I manage half a million plus contacts and grow that? How do I manage systems integrations where data has to translate to and from different systems in a seamless way where there's not a shit ton of errors, where there's not complication, where you don't need three system admins to try to figure out a queue and, you know, troubleshoot or QA an an issue. I think that as you scale, HubSpot's just not set up for that seamlessness. It's just not set up for a clean translation of data. And that's not, I, I mean, I feel like HubSpot should just celebrate what they're good at, which is helping startups Mm -hmm. be startups and and grow and get to, you know, point A to point B. Um, Instead, I I do think it's, you know, a a little bit of a risk for them trying to sell up market just because I don't think that they can support up market. The product's Mm -hmm. not set up to do that. So I think that's where Marketo's really done a good job. One, because they have a huge community of people, right? Who constantly share best practices, asks, needs, you know, flag stuff. And Marketo has done an amazing job over the last 15 years of responding to that with, you know, with product offerings that do support that growth. So. Yeah, it's definitely impressive the community that they uh, have built and the following that they have. It's, um, I mean, we support all of the major marketing automation platforms that so you don't you don't really see it on, on the other ones as much. Right, right. Um, tell me more about Checker. I know this is a pretty interesting company that has an, an interesting social cause as well. Can you tell us a little more yeah. about it? Yeah, so Checker is, um, you know, the, the elevator pitch that, that sounds boring is, you know, it's a it's a powerful AI machine learning driven background check tool that can easily integrate to whatever ATS you have, your HRIS. Um, you know, so I mean, sounds pretty ho hum, right? Um, but the founders of Checker and kind of why I decided to take that first call, to be honest with you, is you know, is looking at their website it was very, very much centric around their mission, which their mission is to create a more equal um, and diverse workforce. And the deeper that I got into conversations, which let me tell you, it was, I think, one of the longest interview processes I've ever gone through, which I think is a testament to their core mission and their core values is really, 
you know, valuing the candidate over a life cycle. But I would say, you know, the most interesting part of Checker and the most interesting and beautiful, I'd say, selling point of Checker and eventually why I joined is their mission to establish a fair chance to hire. So you and I talked about this a little bit last week, but, you know, for those that are listening, it's, you know, how many times have we heard the stories of folks that were previously incarcerated? Maybe they screwed up and made a bad mistake when they were 17. You know, maybe they, you know, turned their life around completely 20 years later. They still have that, you know, felony or, you know, misdemeanor or something on their record that then creates a bias in hiring. So then that candidate eventually does not get hired because of something that is not even applicable to their work, but also 20 plus years old, right? And so at Checker, we created, um, you know, this powerful platform that essentially takes out the personal biases and also inserts the federal county state regulations of non-discriminatory practices, of fair hiring practices. So it takes away uh, a hiring manager's ability to hire based on bias and also remove some of the historical you know, data, historical reports on an individual where it's not applicable to the position that they're being hired for, right? Or being considered to be hiring for. So, you know, when you look at the, you know, robust landscape of people of color, of the LGBTQA community, you know, those folks are the hardest hit when it comes to not getting an opportunity to have a fair chance to hire. Um, this removes a lot of those, I'd say, blockers. Um, and so I love that I'm a part of, especially now, especially in this movement and where we are in the world, um, I love working toward a goal to to create a fairer chance for all people and all individuals. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, would you say this is like the most passionate you've ever felt about the company you've worked for? Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'll tell you like my third day um, at Checker. You know, they have a a week long onboarding, just like a lot of companies do at this point. But you know, we're remote now, obviously, and I was hired during a remote time. So they had to create an onboarding strategy so that, you know, new candidates or new hires felt attached or at least personal to the cause. And on my third day, they spent the entire day reviewing Checker's own internal hiring practices. So I think it's something close to 17% of our internal employees are folks that were previously incarcerated, who Checker now has given a second chance for that person who would have been previously discriminated against to have a family, buy a home, right? Uh, Stay out of prison for the third, fourth, fifth time because they were given a chance to create a life where they can succeed. And so I think when you see, you know, and then eventually get to know some of these individuals and know that you're a part of supporting people learning and growing. And I I don't know, I just think that that third day I was like, this is it. Right. And so, I mean, it's so funny because I don't think I've ever been in a place where internally when they announce, you know, hey, we need referrals for this role or for this role. I think I've referred close to 12 people and I've been here for three and a half months, right? So 
it wow. says something, right? That I'm yeah. I'm wanting to bring in my own network of people who I, you know, respect and care about into a company that I, you know, so strongly believe in the cause. So yeah, I mean, I'd say so. That's awesome. How do you think that that, you know, the fact that they're giving second chances to these people, how does it impact the culture? You know, I think I don't, you know, I don't know. I, it's interesting to me because I think everyone kind of comes into Checker saying, wow, this is a really an amazing cause. But then when you put faces to stories, it becomes personal because then these people become your friends, right? They become your peers, your colleagues, your mentors in some cases. And so I think culturally, it just has brought so many more people together to support one another. Um, I, you know, I would say that this is one of the first places where leadership really goes the extra mile to ensure that folks are taken care of, that are, they're heard, um, that they're supported. So I don't know, it's just, it's this next level element of togetherness and then personal attachment to your colleagues, which, you know, I mean, you can argue, you know, it might be more personal than, than, you know, than it's supposed to be, but you know, who cares? ultimately. Right. I mean, I think it really brings in more of a human element into tech, which, you know, as well as I do for the last 20 years, I feel like that's been missing completely. So, Mm. you know, bringing faces back to that human connection is something that I think fosters such a togetherness culture. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you share with us anything unique about their hiring process that, you know, helps that maybe that you hadn't seen before and that uh, can help other companies with their hiring? Yeah. I mean, I I'm thankful that I come from, you know, prior to checker the HR world, cause I was at lever for two years. So what I will say about HR companies in general, but specifically lever and checker is they have something in common, which is they have this theme of being intentional So every step of the way during the interview process, during the outreach, even in, you know, emails to and from, like everything is very well thought out and very intentional of who you meet and when, right? And I will even say that post-hire, I was set up, which is so strange because I never had experiences before, but I was set up already with three weeks worth of meetings, right, on my calendar of people that I needed to talk to in priority, right? So that I could understand wow. what what my initiatives should be, what what it should be important to my org and for, for my role. And it made things so much easier. So I will say that just intention is different. Um, the thoughtfulness that is put into it is different. Um, and it has been something, especially like I said, joining remotely can be rough. Um, and I enjoyed it probably more than a lot of places that I've joined in person. So something to be said about that. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great mindset to have as you're hiring and onboarding for sure. Uh, So, so, you know, you mentioned that this is maybe the most attached to the mission you've had before. Do you think this is maybe a shift that we're going to see more of? And and also you mentioned maybe that was lacking before in tech. Do you think, you know, with everything that's happened in the world lately, Mm -hmm. do you think there will be more of a shift 
towards that? And, and also, do you think that remote work or working from anywhere will further allow people to really go after the causes they they're passionate about and and work for those i mean i hope there's a shift i really do um i think prior to the pandemic people were i mean even me you know this i've told you the story like i was in the car like two and a half freaking hours each way from home to work right and my baby was just born I literally wouldn't see him for three freaking days, you know, and it was miserable. Uh, who wants to live like that? Right. And I mean, I think that this pandemic has been a little bit of a forcing function because we've all felt fairly isolated. And so intuitively we seek out connection because we need it so deeply. But I mean, as far as remote work is concerned, I mean, I do think, and I am so grateful for, because prior to the pandemic, I was working remotely anyway, um, due to the fact that I didn't see my baby for three days at a time. And so I had decided and thankfully added a company that supported my move. But, you know, I moved to the sticks and rural area of California, um, you know, and had been working about three and a half years remote prior to the pandemic. So I was fairly used to it. But um I feel like my life is so much more balanced, which, you know, when we talk about my six kids, like it seems impossible, but my life is definitely more balanced. And so I do think that companies are starting to understand that when their employees feel more mentally healthy, you know, when they feel like they have a balance of work and life, when they feel like they're respected and heard from their leadership and that their personal time is valued. You know, prior to the pandemic, mental health days were kind of a, sh sh you know, thing. And now mental health days are celebrated even. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I do see a transition to remote work. You know, Checker right now is doing some internal surveying of the company of, you know, what is your preference and overwhelmingly, I'd say the employees, and we're talking about 400 employees, overwhelmingly, people are like, I'd like to stay home. Maybe go into some sort of work office situation once a week, twice a week. But I think it's probably here to stay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I also have worked from home for the last eight years. We actually, <laughs> we actually got a, an office during the pandemic. Um, which is a bit ironic, but uh, yeah, I think we're, we're looking to do like a hybrid setup here. Half of our mm -hmm. employees aren't even in Ottawa, so yeah, uh, we've always kind of had a remote culture, but the ones that are in Ottawa, it's like we're thinking like Monday and Friday, the office is like close, like we want people to work from home, and then mm -hmm. uh. Tuesday to Thursday, come in, see people, have your meetings, do the collaboration you can in person. But yeah, I mean, I do miss a, it's people. It's an experiment. Yeah, I mean, I, I do miss people. I mean, prior to the pandemic at Lever, you know, I would drive into San Francisco. It's, it would take me two plus hours to drive into San Francisco. Yeah, like I'd, leave at three in, I'd leave at three in the morning. I'd get there at six. Oh I'd have gosh. to leave San Francisco by 2.30. But but 
I loved seeing my team. You know, I loved seeing yeah. them in person. There's something about that. I mean, don't ask me if I actually worked that day because I'm pretty sure I didn't. I just kind of floddered around like a social <laughs> butterfly to say hi to everybody. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there has to be some sort of balance. I also think we have to take into consideration that there are positions that just, you know, working from home doesn't support right? You know, R&D and engineering, a lot of those folks, at least I know at Checker, you know, a lot of those folks do like to be in the office because it does require so much sort of paired efforts that being Mm. in person fosters that kind of creativity, successful output, et cetera. So there's a balance. There's a balance. For sure. And I think that the pandemic is definitely going to help with that. And just if nothing else help with the stereotype that people can't work from home. Like, it's yeah. like I know that some people still have that mindset and I, 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 I'm, you know, optimistic that that will go away after this. And everyone's seen like, yes, people can work from home. They can be productive from home. They can be more productive from home. Then, so long as they don't know. have their kids also learning from home. <laughs> I'm just going to caveat that for yeah. you really quick because and I, I, <laughs> I can work from home. I am a successful remote worker, but when I have kids in the next yes. room taking up all of my freaking internet bandwidth, as well as like me trying to do their homework with them and everything else. I, I no thank you. So yeah, it's hard. I mean, that, I think working like, from home could be fun, but working from home during the pandemic is not what a normal working right. from home is for sure. It's right. very different. Right. Um, right. So yeah, lots of uh, lots of learnings, lots of change. Um, so going back to your six kids so I mean I have yeah. two kids and I I am struggling with that so share your your secrets here Deeks with uh, six and and what are some of the things that you do that you know allow you to be a mom and a professional yeah I mean I'd say first and foremost which is gonna sound terrible but lower your expectations across the board <laughs> Like, you know, I mean, I struggled, especially when I had them home this whole time, right at the very beginning, it was rough. That was rough. It was rough times, but you know, I mean, six kids and work, et cetera, and trying to just like maintain a, you know, partnership. Um, I mean, it's a lot across the board and people at work even were like, Oh my gosh, six, how the heck? Like they look at my, they see my calendar where I have like, Tonight I have, for example, two softball practices and a baseball game, all of which are at the same time. So I've, I'm, I'm only one person, so I can't figure out how yet. I haven't figured out how yet I'm going to get them there, but we'll see. I'll let you know. But I mean, I think when it comes down to it, I tell everybody like, just you got to lower your expectations of yourself. You're never going to be super mom or super dad. That's okay. And it's a give and take. So when you're winning at parenting, which PS might only be like one to two days a week for me, if that, you know, if I'm winning, then that's a, that's a score, but something's got to give on the other side. Right. Um, which most, most times translates to my professional career. So, and then other times when I had, for example, two weeks ago, I had a huge presentation and and like I spent a weekend preparing for that. And 
I didn't go to my kids' softball games. I didn't go to my baseball games. I didn't cook dinner those two days, you know? So like I had to let that go and just be honest with my kids of like, Hey, I'm going to suck this weekend. Sorry. Right. So, I mean, it's just, you got to choose where you fail yep. and yeah. that's okay. And that's totally okay though. And stop comparing yourselves to other people who make you think that you're supposed to be doing better than you are, because I guarantee you they're also struggling. They're just not telling you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That's great advice. Great advice. Yeah. Um, Tomorrow's so, a new day, Pierce. Tomorrow's a new day. So if you wake yeah. up with your with your toddler screaming at you, just be like, "We'll start again tomorrow." It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it. It. All right, some rapid fire questions here. Uh, All right. What is one marketing trend that you would unsubscribe from? Uh, LinkedIn connection requests and or LinkedIn email requests things with like no personalization and or context of how I would benefit in any way to connecting. Right. I just think it's such garbage. Um, And it sucks too, because LinkedIn is such an amazing platform to share thoughts and feelings and conversations and get excited about stuff, but then it just gets to be a distraction. So I, then it's almost like I'm over it, right? It's like how millennials are over Facebook at this point. Like it's just a tech, it's just a platform now that I don't even want to visit on occasion because I'm just inundated with stupid requests that mean nothing to me. No offense to everyone that's requested and I haven't accepted. It's just because I just can't filter through all of those things. So I mean, I wish that would die. Like, show me value, right? It's just like if you're mm-hmm. dating, you're not going to go on a dating app and then just be like, hey, I thought we should go out without any context of, you know, who you are. Same, same, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, is email dead? I don't think so. I I mean, I still think that email can be such a powerful, powerful tool, but I do think that there has to be some thoughtfulness around it, right? I mean, I do think what's dead is like the mass spam invite to a webinar and the mass spam to download this new ebook. Like, I think that's dead. Do I think, you know, personalization to an extent, like, and this is what I tell all of my SDRs too, is there is, if you spend the time, it's, it's almost like that, whatever, that lame sort of cliche that your grandma told you when you were a kid of like, you know, quality over quantity. Like I'd rather my SDR team look at sending 20 really beautifully crafted personalized messages to people where our product will fit nicely um, than have them meet some sort of activity quota of sending 400 emails a day through some sort of automated sequence. And same, same with marketing, right? I would rather have us deliver content to a buyer or a prospective buyer that is actually a meaningful and thoughtful offer as opposed to this like mass content that's going to be delivered to everybody and be accessible to everyone that just doesn't work that way. So, you know, there's a level of personalization and a level, but that all that goes all the way back to like the, the whole funnel, right? Is your content right? Are you saying the right things? Is your messaging, you know, well thought out is, you know, is it going to be heard? So, I mean, that's a bigger conversation, but I don't think email is dead. What do you do for fun? 
I mean, I try to play guitar sometimes. Uh, I have a pool, so, and I am like one of those sun shifters. So like as the sun moves throughout the day, I move my chair all the way around the pool. I love the sun, especially right now, because in Sacramento, it's like a beautiful 75 degrees. I mean, you won't catch me out there sun shifting in about a, a month and a half, but um, so yeah, I mean, I like to swim and I mean, and I love to eat <laughs> cheese yeah, <no>. specifically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheese relate. makes me happy. I feel like that's fun. <laughs> right. Uh, who is one person you admire in the business community and why? Uh, let's see. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I think you guys have maybe you've interviewed her or not. If you haven't, you should. Um, Sarah McNamara. Uh, she is super honest about the challenges in marketing ops, marketing automation. She, I think is really cool anyway. Like she has a lot of great opinions and I, and I obviously, as you know me, like I love people that are just like blatant, honest forward. So she takes a lot of that politics out. And, and so I love sort of listening to her, seeing what she posts all the time, because um, her message is loud and clear of simplification and stop making everything so hard um, and also start to value the people that are in the org. So I, I love her message a lot. So she's someone that I find really interesting. You should interview her. Awesome. Yes. We haven't had her on yet, but that's another, that's my last question that I think we'll <laughs> get back to that one. What What's one piece of career advice that you've learned over the years that mm. you think might help others? Oh, I mean, that's hard because there's a lot of them, but I mean, I would, I would say go with your gut, right? Uh, go with your gut and, and keep it simple. So, you know, the more opportunity that you have, if it feels good, do that. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. I mean, I think that's, that's one of those things that comes with age. Not that I'm old, you know, I'm only 23, but um, you know, it took me a long time to feel comfortable with my own choices. And so, and you don't owe anyone anything except for yourself. So my best advice is do what feels good. Um, and I don't mean like if you're a serial killer, do that, but I mean, you know, if, <laughs> if you're contemplating a shift from, you know, marketing to maybe, you know, customer advocacy, right? Like, cool, go explore that. So, I, I mean, I do think that's, that's the bit of advice. I mean, I translate that down to my kids too. You know, my, one of my daughters was a cheerleader for a long time and I didn't know how much she hated it. And one day she was like, I really don't enjoy this. I was like, Whoa, okay, let's stop right now. Um, cause I mean, why waste time doing stuff you don't feel good about? So yeah. Same. Yeah. Love that advice. All right. I think I might know what you're going to say for this one, but who else yeah. should we interview on the podcast? So Sarah, for sure. And by the way, like she'll give you a far more robust, like holistic view of marketing ops today. I've been obviously a little bit removed from it for a while um, from a, you know, implementation execution standpoint. So I think she'd be one that can get good inside and dirty on the ins and outs and the complexities. So I'm going to vote for her. Um, 
I mean, I think Michael Tucker would be great too. He was a mug mm-hmm. user, you know, leads those groups. Um, he and Andy work together, used to work together quite a bit. You know, it, he's a solid guy and he's super mellow and he comes from a place of like genuine, like his approach is so genuine and he's so thoughtful. I mean, he's definitely one of the most mellow um, dudes I've ever worked with. So I would definitely talk with him as well. Right on. You know, he's like even keeled, uh, you know? Yeah. 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 I think he's Canadian. Or I know, I, I just learned that he lived in Toronto for a long time. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I have, yeah, Michael's a great guy. And yeah, uh, he is. Yeah, well, to connect with Sarah too. Um, thank you so much, Deeks. It's been awesome chatting with you about, yeah, you know, you being like the first Marketo customer ever and the evolution of marketing automation, uh, your, your new role at Checker and, and how these, you know, how being really attached to the cause of your company has, has uh, given you a new passion and then also some great tips on work-life balance or life-work balance depending on (laughs) how you want to look at it so uh, thank you so much for joining us today it was great chatting with you yeah thanks for having me appreciate it thanks for listening to unsubscribed a podcast created by knack If you enjoyed this episode of Unsubscribe, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any feedback or want to chat, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at marketing underscore 101. Cheers.